Early adopters. That's one way to describe the Prangy family when it comes to technology, crop management, and livestock breeding. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. Louis Prangy is the third generation on his family's farm. His grandfather bought the farm in 1910, and Louis will be accepting the Centennial Farm Award at the Wisconsin State Fair on August 8th. Louis tells me how the Sheboygan County Farm got started. My grandfather's family was started out in Sheboygan Falls, and eventually he was working a farm in Waldo that was rented, and then he went from there to the purchase of the present Elm Park Farm in Sheboygan Falls. It's actually the address of Sheboygan Falls, but today all of the land is in the township of Plymouth and Rhine. It was purchased at a time where, you know, I think it was World War One occurred after that, and uh and of course, in 1929, the Depression occurred. And so I know the family story is that my grandfather put the tractors up on blocks and went back and used horses to farm the farm for about three years until economics improved and he was able to put the tractors back on the ground again. What kind of production was the farm? A little bit of everything, mostly crops. Was it dairy? It was dairy. He, he milked cows from the beginning and actually was a registered Holstein breeder and imported cattle from Canada. I think that was his focus was breeding and dairy and then the crops supported the dairy. So it was a combination of, at that time, wheat, oats, grass, alfalfa, corn. That was the basis of the farm at the time and was there to support the dairy. And then when the next generation took hold, uh, how did the farm change? When I was growing up, I'd say the farm stayed pretty much the same. I mean, there was at the time a chicken coop on the farm. So my mother raised chickens and that was her money to buy food and clothes and that sort of thing. That's the way they did it. There were hogs. There was, uh, you know, there were sows and piglets and that sort of thing. Swine ended probably sometime in the early 60s, and then my mother still had chickens probably until sometime in the 80s, and then the chickens uh, went as well, and uh, it became a complete dairy farm. But my father also bred certified seed oats, so he went to the UW short course and then became, I think at one time, he's president of the Wisconsin Crop Improvement Association, which kind of fostered certified seed seed. I mean, we raised certified oats, certified flax, certified clover seed. And he had a full complement of, you know, grain cleaning equipment and weighing and bagging and scaling and that sort of thing. And then sold those products to in the surrounding area, I would say, for the most part. I I can remember uh, as a youngster, probably 10 to 15 years of age, probably on the younger side of that, uh, still bailing flax straw. And the flax would be hauled to uh, railroad siding in Random Lake and the bales of flax straw loaded on boxcars for, I think they're used in the in manufacture of linen and um, some rope and that sort of thing. So it was a specialty crop. So I want to go back in time again and talk about some of the big events that happened on the farm. You, you mentioned the Great Depression, but what about more technology advancements on the farm, new buildings? Walk me through those early years and some of those big changes that that happened in farming. Well, yeah, it's kind of interesting to look back on it, seeing how even continuing today, Wisconsin farmers adapt to 
you know, new technologies. So I would say my grandfather had other business interests besides the farm. So at kind of an early age, I don't know how old my father was, but probably somewhere in his 30s, he turned the farm over via trust to my father and mother. That's when the changes started. First thing was, to my chagrin, my father took the registry papers, put them on a shelf, and turned the entire herd into grades. Cows were a means to an end, but he had no interest in them whatsoever. So the herd went from a registered Holstein herd to a grade Holstein herd, and he concentrated more on agricultural practices. So I would say early on, perhaps in the late 50s, he built the first harvester silo, which was an oxygen-limiting you know, storage system, and went on to build a couple of more and actually owned part of a uh, harvester dealership and went on to promote that technology. But he also promoted, amazingly enough, a grazing system where you, know, you move the wire morning and night and the cows eat that section and then you move it again. And came up with a portable water tank that got pulled out to the fields. So the cows had water. So he understood the basic principles and, I guess, the foundation of good milk production and, let's say, economical milk production would be a solid base of high-quality forages for those cows to eat. He, he was more interested in agronomy and agronomic advances um, than he was cows, but the cows were the, you know, end recipient of everything he did economically. And of course, he continued to raise certified oat seed and actually competed in competition at the Royal Winter Fair in Toronto, Canada with, you know, oats and, and won his class. But uh, at the same time, you know, uh, we had a self-propelled chopper back in the mid-60s. So that was, again, to maintain a high-quality forage also, at about that same time, he became very involved in uh, early no-till planting. I'd say he started doing no-till in the mid-60s and uh, continued on with that uh, for some time. That, that would just, you know, again, be one of those things that his agronomic interests uh, superseded everything, including economics, because I remember years of crop failures in the uh, time of the early stages of learning how to plant no-till corn. Well, your dad sounds like what we call an early adopter, kind of on the front edge of the conservation scene. He was, and that's where I learned that I did not want to be an early adopter. I wanted to wait for somebody else to do the experiment, perfect it, lose money uh, while he was learning, and I'd try and take advantage of the final product. So, yeah, we had a different view of that. Not everyone gets the chance to grow up on a farm. And I wanted you to describe to listeners what was it like for you? What are some of the memories that stand out the most? Maybe they were learning curves. Maybe they were happy. Uh, what, what do you got for us? I think uh, learning experience was invaluable. I think the first part was learning how to work. I think the evolvement of farms to the very large operations we have today and the disappearance of the small farms has, will continue to have, tragic social consequences, but nonetheless, that's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. I think the most important part was that I learned to work. I started carrying milk when I was, I think my mother set the date that I couldn't carry milk to the tank until I was 10 years of age, so I carried milk to the tank, uh, 
uh, starting at 10. And I remember how proud I was that I was uh, given that responsibility carrying up to the tank. Lift the pail up, pour it through the filter, and in the tank it goes. I can still remember when we had milk cans that were picked up, you know, daily at the farm. But all of that, you know, gave me a, an incredible work ethic, which uh, I still maintain today. It was a huge learning experience for me, and I was interested in it. And I remain a farmer. I, I was born a farmer, and I remain a farmer both in practice and heart today. When we talked about the history of the farm, you took me up until the 80s when you said that's when the farm went to dairy only. Then what happened? So basically, somewhere in that time period, in the 50s, my grandfather became a Wisconsin state senator. I think he was a senator for six to eight years and died in office. So I was there as a very five or six-year-old kid. Uh, at the funeral where the governor was present and, you know, that sort of thing. So that left a great impression upon me. And I just vaguely remember him as being a very tall, imposing guy who didn't laugh a lot. So um, he's a pretty serious guy. And um, then from that point forward, the next thing that happened, I would say my father held field days in the summertime with uh, bratwurst fries for all of his customers, they'd go and hop on a hay wagon and drive through the fields looking at the oat crops and the new varieties of seed that were planted and that sort of thing. And then uh, he went from that to uh, no-till planting open houses sponsored by, you know, Alice Chalmers, one of the first no-till drills at the time. And then, you know, uh, what today is called Roundup, and at that time was Atrazine, you know, so the chemical companies sponsored part of it. And there were, you know, the attendance was hundreds of people. He took a great deal of joy in those open houses. And following that, I would say, as an event on the farm, my sister's wedding was held in front of the farmhouse, which turned 150 years of age last year. Then, you know, after I took over the farm, the state Holstein summer picnic was held there, and we had open houses and uh, auctions of uh, breeding cattle, you know, and international tours and during my time, the farm hosted about 150 international students who, uh, you know, learned and trained. And I still have contact with many of them today in various parts of the world. So that's those are the events, you know, that basically, you know, shaped the farm and where it's at today. And in the 80s, so I graduated from high school in 1969. I first went to the University of Guelph in Canada because my father wanted me to be an agronomist, and I studied under Dr. Tanner there, a renowned no-till crop specialist. And after six months, I gravitated to the sale barn very near Guelph, run by Ray Brubacher, who formerly managed Lakeside Farms, very near Elm Park, and uh, started clipping cows for sales and auctions. And finally, I just kind of quit going to school after the first semester and clip cows for the next six months. Nobody in the family was very happy about that decision. And um, then that was followed by my attendance at the University of Wisconsin, where I majored in agricultural economics and was on the judging team and, you know, dairy cattle judging team for three years and, um, you know, eventually graduated and um, then went on to work in the livestock business after taking a short at law school, which, you know, 
I found I wanted to go out in the world and find out what the world was like, and I started books. So then I went back to the farm in 1974. Couldn't get on very well with my father, so I went and worked for Holstein International, or the international branch of the U.S. Holstein Association. Traveled around the world promoting U.S. genetics and U.S. Holsteins and that sort of thing. And then eventually, in 1976, my brother and I founded a corporation called Elm Park Farms Limited, and we purchased uh, all the personal property and signed a lease for the farm with my mom and dad. And then uh, years later, about five years later, I bought my brother out and ran the farm myself from then where we concentrated solely on breeding and livestock. And I was part of a syndicate which uh, bought a cow for $80,000 in 1974. And I managed that group and we had enormous success. But, you know, I'd say my entire lifetime on the farm and working with livestock has been, you know, characterized by having a lot of luck. So uh, we bought that cow and um, we then ET, embryo transfer, just started. And we had, I'd say, probably one of the first 10 embryo transfer, you know, operations filled on that cow and later at the farm. And um, eventually we started producing about 250 to 500 embryo transfer calves a year. And so the business of the farm went from a very diversified farm, including chickens and swine and and oats breeding, to a very narrowly focused uh, base of, you know, breeding livestock, marketing livestock internationally specifically, and exporting them internationally. So so that's how the farm evolved to... uh, it's present day, and um, I had my first big Holstein sale, my first big final Holstein sale, 2011, which averaged over $4,000. And then um, we had another one in um, 15 because I had embryos left over I implanted, and we had good luck with those, so we had another auction. And then the farm divested itself of all livestock about three years ago. So now it's purely a cropping operation, which is about quadrupled in size from the original farm. What's your role on the farm today? Are you in the field? or? I still, I while I was operating the farm, I started a company called Transworld Genetics, originally an export operation. Eventually, we uh, founded an AI center in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. 2008, I sold that to company to ST Genetics. And that um, spot on Highway 151, just west of Fond du Lac, is today the largest, uh, part of the largest sex sorting laboratory in the world with over 200 machines. I think about 400 bulls producing about 10 million units a year. So when I made that sale, I continued on under a cannot compete operation and it worked very well. So I was hired uh, for, you know, the international marketplace. So now I'm vice president of international sales in Europe. Japan, Russia, and Iran. So I I spend a great deal of time traveling, but I get back to the farm about once a month for three to seven days. I usually participate in spring planting. I most definitely participate in the fall planting, and we continue to almost exclusively plant everything no-till and have been doing that since about 1990. So, Lewis, what's next for this Century Farm? Is there a fourth generation uh, plans for, you know, future production? Well, there is a fourth generation, and um, 
I've been fortunate enough that I, I have the luxury of having a good economic base so that I've placed the farm into a trust and the instructions of the trust are that the all the contiguous acreage of the farm, of the original farm, and anything that was subsequently uh, purchased that's contiguous to it, remain there in the trust for my children and grandchildren. I have two sons. One just graduated with his degree, uh, I think it's master's in computer science. The other graduated from River Falls with a degree in agricultural production. But he found out he's got more of a love for mechanics and uh, engines than he does uh, farming. And so he's presently living in Minnesota. I hope that someday either one of my sons or grandchildren operate the farm. Your dad kind of was an early adopter on the field side of things, but it sounds like you were on the cutting edge of more of the uh, animal production agriculture side of things. My father, for some reason, I'm not sure why, you know, maybe as much as I dislike experimenting with agronomic, the new agronomic developments before they're perfected so you can actually benefit economically, my father really disliked registered Holsteins. And I just happened to grow up without, of course, any encouragement, loving cows. At the age of, I don't know, 10, I started applying for, you know, the county scholarships and uh, winners at the county show. And that just, of course, fed that passion even more. So I had registered animals that I brought into the herd without my father's knowledge. When he found out, they had to be removed from the farm within about six hours. And of course, if you tell a teenager you don't want them to do something, that's probably the best encouragement you can give them in the entire world. So that's what he did for me. Oh, I'm sure a lot of farm families can relate to the to the headbutting that takes place when you work with family on the farm. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's always a wonderful dream. I've said this for a long time. A wonderful dream for fathers and sons and brothers and family to work together. But it's mostly it's mostly a dream and. And sometimes when you see that work uh, in reality, you're absolutely amazed uh, at how, you know, people make that work knowing how difficult it is. Louis Prangy speaking to the innovations that took place on his family's farm over more than 100 years. Their Sheboygan County Farm is getting recognized by the state of Wisconsin with a Centennial Farm Award. Families will be getting together for a celebratory breakfast during the Wisconsin State Fair to get their awards. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.